whole podcast is really meant to be a resource for the next generation. Right. Um, do you have any sort of tips or anything else you kind of typically give for the next generation that if you're mentoring somebody or you're kind of helping somebody get them get their feet under them? In today's paper-driven age uh, for the heavy civil division, the first five to seven years are the most important. Uh, get in the field. You know, work with the foreman. Try to try to get that time to feel. But you know, gaining all that knowledge in the field is what's going to serve us the next twenty years of your career, to where you can sit down with owners, you know, superintendents. I mean, I mean, estimators, and speak intelligently about the intricacies of these operations. And that's relearning. I mean, that's one thing I see more and more of today is that we losing we're losing is losing guys to have time. To get in the field and learn with the foreman, learn with the superintendents, learn how to schedule work, learn how to learn how to plan work. You know, they just they get stuck behind desks pushing paper, and it's it's horrible. It's really robbing them. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the CM Miniatures Podcast. My name is Matt Graves, and my co-host each week, each week is Kyle Grandel. What's up, Kyle? Hey, not much, Matt. Just here for the podcast. How about you? <laughs> same, same. <laughs> How's everything been going for you? been going great man it's been a busy week lots of proposals going out the door so i am fried that is a fun it's an exciting week though yeah yeah for sure so this week's guest is an old college rugby buddy of mine uh we actually i think we were we played against each other and i think we actually played together a few times maybe like a select team and i played with you guys a couple of tournaments and stuff but uh, an old buddy uh jess rosen what's going on jess how y'all doing doing great you're doing great good to meet you Missouri too. So for uh, people who don't know who you are, do you want to just give a little bit of a background on yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name's Jess Rosen. Uh, went to college, Texas Tech, and got my civil engineering degree, and then uh, jumped head right into uh, heavy civil and transportation industry, working as a field engineer, um, uh, and then spent the last 13 years working through projects all across Texas, uh, heavy civil transportation projects, uh, then, then jumped and stepped up a bit and worked for some bigger, bigger commuter rail type jobs around the country, and then then started pursuing cable state bridges and worked a lot uh, as a field engineer, and then then more as an APM and and a project manager, uh, managing big complicated builds, um, and then like I said, uh, took me all over the country, and uh, now I'm back in Texas and, and chasing a little bit different, a little bit of the same type of work, and and uh, trying to do some more for some the smaller company I'm working for now. That's cool, man. I think you're, you're our first civil roadway guy. Uh, we've had yeah. a lot of building, building construction guys, and uh, you know some other finance and those sort of things. But I'm excited. It's gonna be a different, a little different conversation. You know, I've listened to your podcast, uh, and especially the ones with the design builds guys. And I was like, wow, there, there's a there's a lot of similarities, but there's some there's some there's a little bit different interpretations of some of the uh, design build stuff. So that's mainly what I've been a part, a part of is mega project design builds ranging from Anywhere from $100 million to $1.5 billion, mostly around the billion-dollar range. Very cool. So a, lot, got, a, lot of moving, a lot of moving parts. I got to ask you, Jess, uh, how do you feel about electricians? Oh, <laughs> man, they got a, they've got opinions, and they understand <laughs> scope gap. I tell you what. That's the first time we've heard that one, Matt. I like it. <laughs> it's, they, really, uh, they really know how to, to, to expose scope gaps. I'm a little envious yeah. of Jess, though, because electricians don't play a big role in the roadway work. <laughs> I tell you what, they they can be showstoppers when they want to be, and they're busy, <laughs> busy, busy, especially here in Central Texas. Hey, what Je- what I heard Jess say is that we're crafty, and I'll take it. I will take that. They'll let you know <laughs> when there's a blocked conduit embedded in concrete, I tell you that. <laughs> yes, they will. And they'll tell you with a change order, too, I'm sure, right? They'll yeah. tell you, handing you the paper. Uh, just one if you're lucky. <laughs> so I know you got a lot of experience on some big mega projects and that sort of thing that like you just talked about. So we want to bring you on and talk about specifically, like, kind of how to be innovative to pr- improve constructability. Um, I'm sure you've had a lot of experience of these mega projects having mega issues. <laughs> You know, something mega issues, something mega opportunities. You know, um, there's, you know, the more complicated the structure, the more complicated the project, um, you know, outside of, you know, phase work, you know, everybody sees it on the highways, you know, what is going on? Why are they building half a bridge in the air right here? And, and well, that's planned. That's, that's, 
somebody had an idea saying, let's get this work done ahead of time. So there, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of work that goes into phase work. Um, but then when you really want to get down to it, and this is what I've been doing for the last, you know, really eight years was, uh, on big cable state bridges, tight arch type bridges. Um, there's a lot of room for working with designers on design builds and coming up with the better concepts, coming up with the more, um, efficient, more, and more economical concepts. Um, you know, you're, you're pretty much the voice of, okay, do the materials that are being called out in the plans, does that make sense? Or is there long lead times? Can we change it? Um, what can we do to be for the, what, what can we do on the side of the contractor to speed the process up? If you would too. Um, then it goes into, it goes even deeper because then, you know, on the plans, everybody's favorite comment, you know, to be provided by contractor. Well, when you're on a cable state bridge or, or, or some type of big structure, that could be a, that could be a costly item. I mean, we, we, you could be talking about short towers that are in the hundred million dollar range uh, as far as operational costs. So that goes into a lot of fabrication details, assembly details, um, just, just how's it, how's it work with the operation in general. So that's where the, that's where a lot of effort, that's where a lot of my time has gone is working through the details of, of um, the things that are also in design and on the, and the construction engineering uh, portion of it. So. so. So Jess, I haven't done a whole lot of, of public work and very, I mean, very little to your scale. What, what What's like a typical project size, like magnitude as far as maybe, you know, budgets, but also like duration. So let's say, I mean, so more of, more of my projects that I've been on, so I've been on about eight mega projects, um, mega project design builds on the country, and they they range from generally the like the seven hundred fifty million to one point three billion dollar range. They're always around that billion dollar mark. Um, so as far as durations, I mean, we've had some that are jacked up in price because you got we got to get it done in two years. Uh, there's, I mean, there's a big there's a big. Uh, Toll road in Houston that took was I think it was like 40 miles of toll with six major interchanges and that that was a two year project and so it took a lot of resources and effort to uh, to really really push down on that or some projects will last seven years um, and that is a long time to be on one project and it's very rare for people to, to start that project and finish that project so it's almost like a career. I appreciate that. I mean, I, my, mine in the industrial manufacturing realm, I mean, there may be like six months to a year and a half. And after a year, I'm dragging. So I can only imagine a five to seven year project. Yeah. You, you, typically, you hope for a good three years uh, on a project. Um, That's a long and then time. Pit, yeah. Three years on a project. I mean, it's yeah. it's a long time. And you hope that you're kind of pulled off of it by if you start that project, you would kind of want to be pulled off of it before the punch list hits. And you're usually working on something else. <laughs> so, so a project of that size, um, as far as duration, I can only imagine there's a lot of like management um, strategy behind that too, as far as like picking the resources and then having a plan for turnover and stuff like that too. Is that right? There is, there can be, and it's coming, it's becoming more of a, I don't say a problem, but more of a, just a, a day-to-day occurrence is that turnover. It's a lot of hours. It's construction, you know, it's, Construction doesn't turn off, so yeah, it is a lot of hours, and then we end up you end up having to plan. I, I call it get hit by the bus. You know, always always make sure you're well documented on your side, and, and in case somebody decides to leave, and and uh, you got to pick up slack, and it's a uh, it's become part of the process. Great point. When you're doing projects like that, and you're planning for changeover, right? If you're doing like a commercial project, and it's a one year project or something like that, which is a lot of stuff I've done. You know, really not expecting for the project manager to change over and all that sort of stuff. So you talk about, you know, preparing to get hit by the bus documentation. Like, what are some things that you might really be doing and, and knowing that you're not going to be there for the full time? So, you know, one nasty part of, of some of these mega projects is that they can tend to lead into claims, claims with the designer. Everybody's so happy, um, you know, from... From a field engineer's perspective, you know, we, we write, we try to keep them building logs. Uh, we want them to be organized. Um, so to a, to a level where everybody understands the same format of things, you know, on, on shared documents and stuff like that. And that's where you see a lot more uh, developing development in the document control systems and uh, you know, like your Procores and your Autodesk 360s and builds and stuff like that. Um, but 
you know, when it comes to a management level, well, you're also, you know, let's say constructability reviews, uh, what I'm doing with designers or what I've done with designers is, is that if I see something in the plans during a 30, 60, 90% review or hundred percent review before it's RFC, get it, get that comment on paper. Because if you call out that comment, they don't address it. It's CYA right now. You, you brought it to light. Sometimes I'll follow up with it. Or they won't follow up with it. Right. But you've got it documented. You got it saved. And now if that, if that issue comes to light and then start costing you money, well, you can look back and say, listen, we're not, a, we're not paying for, we're not paying for your time and your time on generate or addressing this RFI because it's been in your court for quite a while and you didn't, you didn't catch it or follow up on it. So that's one item, you know, um, it can go deeper to, uh, Claims of the owners, claims with uh, stakeholders, claims with you know municipalities, and goes. Somebody's going to have a problem with something, or somebody's going to want time back for something, especially if you're going over the course of three years. And as a project lingers for three to four to five years, you got to you got to you got to keep that timeline. You got to you got you always got to try to keep it open and close open and close on on issues and and get it well documented. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Uh, just going to say that, I mean, I can certainly appreciate that, too. That's um, documentation is always a big thing on, on the manufacturing side because we're always starting projects before the design's done. And I'm sure you've seen that a lot, too. But uh, the changes, just documenting the changes and getting them verified and actually in the right hands, too, can be a challenge. Having the systems mm -hmm. in place to make sure that uh, when we do get drawings out to the field staff, that I mean, are they even working off of the right issue drawings? little issues like that all the time yeah it is i mean make sure you know you know labor craft they're all coding their time appropriately i mean it all goes back to can you is it researchable is it findable in the end uh there's a lot of there's a lot of day-to-day -day, you know we're, we're in a document driven society now and information overload almost where you gotta you gotta keep up with the, the little things for it so you can look back in the past um but yeah it's uh it's become half the job is just pushing paper, you know? Yeah. Unfortunately, that's where it's got. It's a lot of it's just documenting up being prepared for the lawsuit and hopefully it never comes. Yeah. No, it is. It's unfortunate. So, but, but there are, I mean, there's, you know, we're talking about basically on topic, you know, it's been one of the greatest things that one of the greatest satisfactions and in, in, in being that being that person that has a lot of experience with the types of structures we work with is, being innovative, you know, I have an innovative mind. I would gladly give up a daily a daily routine just to go create something new, you know, and and that's what's that's that's actually what I've been having uh, I've been doing the past few years is just any ideas any ideas I have, you know, new ways to form, new ways to to set girders, new ways to to form overhang or form concrete, new ways means and methods. Uh, I mean, I've developed custom form systems with farm equipment. Uh, attached to the side to, to make it faster. It, 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 it sky's it really sky's the limit, and it's only you're only you're only uh, you're only restricted by your own your own abilities or your own uh, motivation. Would you say that you're seeing more innovation in certain areas than others? Are, are there any trends right now in you know in the civil world that you're seeing? There are. So um, you know, for one thing, you know, we've been trying. Well, there's a few things. So you know, I've been. I've been a, an active member um, of um, uh, PTI, the Post Teaching Institute, and ASBE, American Segmental Bridge Institute, um, where basically your take, basically, and that's been around for 20, 30 years. Um, and when you sit in these these conferences and you, and you talk with your peers and, and coworkers about things, new 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 ideas come to light. Um, there's, everybody's looking for a way to build it bigger and faster. So you've seen some some headlines of bridges that are built to the side, you know, off the off the side of the road, and then they're they're brought in with big SBMTs, big big mobile units that they just pull the span on the new place and drop it in place, and there you have a bridge over a weekend. So that's that's an accelerated bridge concept. So ABC, um, everybody's looking for new ways to speed some of these things up and and not hinder traffic. And owners love that they they love the new technical concepts you know how do you how can you not affect traffic or ship channel traffic or stakeholders whatever the case may be so the opportunities lie there but sometimes you're sitting there saying okay well you got to shut down a little bit of traffic so i can build this thing no we don't want to oh, all right 
Okay. Do it between the hours of 4 a.m. and 5 a.m. Great. You see that, you know, there's such parallels there, too, because a lot of buildings, you know, you go into an existing facility that needs, needs to stay operational, right? And you got to do a remodel. Like, well, you, we don't want to impact our current operations, but remodel our building. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> it sounds like an HEB kind of thing. You know, they're always, they're always like, we got to keep the aisles open. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, don't don't shut anything down, but remodel our restrooms. But make sure we have all our restrooms. Like it's a, right. This is magic, you know. So, no, the same the same the same thing goes with owners on the heavy civil side. Is you know they 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 really they care about the public and and for all good reasons. I mean they want yeah. they want they want clean job sites. They want uh, they want accessibilities. Uh, they don't want they don't want any development traffic. You know, here we are in Austin right now, and there's traffic everywhere, but. Try not to reduce, not try not to try not to create more traffic. Oh, sounds good. Yeah, unfortunately, it's got to get worse before it gets better. Sometimes it does. So, I mean, there, there's a um, you know, are y'all familiar with post tensioning in the uh, in the commercial industry? Not really. Okay. In, in building construction, not roadway stuff, but yeah. Okay. So you know, going back to the topic of seeing some innovations, you know, uh, there's been a couple of patents put out there with uh, with modifying girders that that create the overhangs on the outside of uh of, of flyovers and direct connects um that limits it it reduces time and materials and efforts to, to create that same thing so it's precast so really what it is is driving precast uh implementations you know like if you wanted to you could drill the drill shafts and some of these structures and you could precast the columns and then you post tension them after the fact and then have it done in a day you know if you get it all erected right. So rather than taking three or four days, uh, same thing with caps. I mean, so there's a lot of implementation. It comes down to cost. It always comes down to cost, right? You know, is the juice worth the squeeze? Um, but that's what I always tell clients. They always say, "Can you do this?" I'm like, "I can do anything for a certain amount of money." <laughs> all it takes well, is money. <laughs> yeah, all it takes is money. But yeah, it's uh, there's there's avenues and there's opportunities, uh, uh, and you know, construction being. But you're still pouring liquid rock and making the same rock and same wall you've been doing for quite a while. Well, yeah, but can we do it for less money or can we do it more more efficiently? That's that's been the, the driver too. You know, people talk about 3D printed structures. Actually, I'm looking into that for a buddy of mine up in Alaska. Uh, I have to get well versed and see if I can generate a list of questions for that. But there's a lot of things out there that you know, uh, you know, types of form systems. There's always a need somewhere. Are they 3D printing roadways now? No. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is for uh, some remote cabin structures up in Alaska. I got you. Okay. I've seen the houses and stuff, but I didn't know if they're trying to get it into the civil world, the roadway world or not. I can't imagine. I, so, take, yeah. I can't imagine you take the, the beating that roads take. Yeah. I mean, there's, when you're getting into concrete too, there's a lot of science in concrete that a lot of people don't understand. I mean, when you're mixing, mixing up, uh, Working with you know consultants on ten thousand psi mixes with uh, uh, you know chlor diffusion. I mean, uh, what was it? You know, high permissibility rate or surface? What was it? High permissibilities. Anyway, um, it's all it's a hell it's a hell of a science as well. Oh, it is. Um, when you're doing constructability reviews and stuff like that, and trying to be innovative, do you have a, me a methodology where you go through and you're kind of when you when you say you first get on a project and you're looking for ways to innovate? Do you have a certain way, like a methodology that you go through to like I do. process? I do. And it's funny you ask that. So I'm a visual guy. I can look at plans and they got to be printed out and they have to have a red pen and I have to, they have to be in front of me. No computer stuff. I can't, I can't handle it. <laughs> but what I do, I'm a big 3D modeler. So I can, I can 3D model an entire interchange uh, and I use that to, to think through the next 15 steps of things and say, okay, this clearance is going to be an issue at step seven. And this clearance is going to be an issue at 15. This, you know, there's going to be access issues with this, this phase doesn't work for us. So if I see a complicated, you know, I guess zone or area or a structure in, in sense, I will 3d model it out. That's my tool of reference uh, because it allows us to, it allows me to number one, explain the situation with visuals because a lot of times people get lost up in words because they don't know it as well as I do clearly for study because I studied it. 
Right. Uh, so I use a, an easy 3D model to represent, okay, this is why this is a problem. Uh, this is why the construction sequence is a problem because if you support it from here, you can't get in it or you can't get around it or, or nobody can get around it uh, or it interrupts phasing or whatever the case may be. So a lot of times I use Google SketchUp. That's it. Free and easy. Just go to town. Just make sure your graphics card can handle a bigger model. So I actually, I promote that with a lot of my young engineers. I said, listen, draw it out. You know, it's probably not the most favorable. It's going to take you a little time, but draw it out. See, see what you think. No, it's pretty good. I was going to say it's pretty good too, because when you can build it virtually, especially if you can't build it in your head, a lot of people are taking mm -hmm. like the two dimensional drawings and trying to, I mean, I'm not a civil guy. I'm not a roadway guy, but every now and then you get into it and you have a little bit of roadway stuff. And I'm looking at those drawings. And I'm like, I'm used to seeing architectural drawings and, and structural drawings. I'll look at that. I'm like, it's like kind of rethink how it even goes together. <laughs> and it's a little right. Different, so. Right. I mean, a lot of times when we work through complex, com complex structures where it's, whereas it's, um, you know, real, real dense construction or real dense areas of construction, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the designer is obligated to provide a construction sequence of sense, you know, you know, steps one, two, and three, and four, especially if it requires special shorings or special, special attention. And so that's like, that's the first thing I jump on. It's like, okay, can we build it? Because a designer, I'm sorry. <laughs> you'll, I'll find, you'll find, I'll find holes no matter what. I mean, you know, so working through that sequence is, it's a big deal because when that work comes up on a job and you're two years into the job and all of a sudden it's going to take, it's going to take another six to eight weeks to, to rethink the construction sequence because it wasn't looked at. Now you're paying for that time and you have crews in the field and, and now it's affecting the progress of work. So, um, now the Google SketchUp, um, big advocate of it. Uh, there's other softwares out there too, but you know, there's ways to, to manage quantities. If you draw it well enough, you have enough time, you can, you can, you can print out reports that, for takeoffs, you can you can import it. I mean, I mean, I use it to import it with the designer to create 3D models for lift plans, uh, wow. uh, for big structures. Um, it's very transferable between the CAD softwares the, and the, the microstations and the Teclas, the SolidWorks, the whole nine yards. That's pretty cool. I didn't know Google SketchUp was that advanced. I didn't know you could do quantity takeoffs. And well, sorry, it's not Google SketchUp anymore. It's, it's Trimble. But ah, I got you. Okay, yeah, Tim. Sorry, sorry. I've been no, a lifetime like subscriber. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Um, you were talking about using Google SketchUp kind of as a tool that you give to kind of your younger professionals coming up. Do you have any other tips or things usually? Because this whole podcast is really meant to be a resource for the next generation. Right. Um, do you have any sort of tips or anything else you kind of typically give for the next generation that if you're mentoring somebody or you're kind of helping somebody get them get their feet under them? In today's paper-driven age, uh, for the heavy civil division, the first five to seven years are the most important. Uh, get in the field, you know, work with the foreman. Try to try to get that time in the field because the seven, the five to seven years of experience, and seven's a long. I mean, I took it thirteen because I'm, I'm not or whatever. I loved it, but uh, you know, gaining all that knowledge in the field is what's going to serve us the next twenty years of your career, to where you can sit down with owners you know, superintendents, I mean, I mean, estimators and speak intelligently about the intricacies of these operations. And that's relearning. I mean, that's one thing I see more and more of today is that we're losing, we're losing is losing guys to have time to get in the field and learn with the foreman, learn with the superintendents, learn how to schedule work, learn how to, learn how to plan work. You know, they just, they get stuck behind desks, pushing paper and it's, it's horrible. It's really robbing them. And then you I've seen that in the in the commercial world or in the building construction commercial world where it's the same thing. You get on these bigger, bigger projects that may last a five-year program, and you'll have a project engineer fresh out of school, and he's responsible for the structure, right? And that's all he mm -hmm. knows. That's all he learns. And he's just pushing some middles and pushing RFIs for three years. And like he's not getting a very broad experience, right? And I, I can imagine on these mega projects, if somebody you say five to seven years get out in the field. He may be on one project for five years and he's only really seeing one set of constraints and he's only planning one project and he's not getting all the reps. And so I don't know how can do, do companies, these bigger companies, do they, are they putting thought in that when they're developing the people of like, Hey, we got to get you multiple experiences or are they just throwing them out? So I, to be productive? 
I've worked on one of our mega projects that took a while, uh, and we created a cross tra cross training program. Okay. So we have a good connection. Uh, we actually created a cross training program where when we're not managing turnaround, you know, God forbid, we actually get the opportunity to take a structures engineer, field engineer, or a drainage engineer and say, okay, guys, you have two months to work kind of hand in hand. And then for six months, you're switching places. And then two months after that, you're switching back. And then we do that. We'll do that with our cost management system. Like sometimes our cost management engineers that are young and you know learning the cost management side of things, we'll do that with drainage structures, uh, roadway guys, paving guy, uh, guys. We like to we like to try to cross it. That's always a goal on these mega projects that last a while because we don't want people to be pigeonholed into yeah. knowing really well how to do curb and gutter or sidewalks because that doesn't develop a management manager very well, you know. Mm -hmm. So. Um, no, there's always an initiative on, on these big scale jobs to try to help these engineers gain a lot of experience. Now, my biggest thing is that the biggest thing that I like to promote too, is that you're limited. I guess my biggest, my saying is you choose your level of involvement. And, and then that being is like, if you see opportunities on a Saturday to learn a dirt operation, get out there, you know, no one's going to push you to make you do it. Right, I will maybe, but get out there if you see a, if you have a, if you have a little bit of time and you want to be on a paving operation at night over for bridge decks get out there see how to set up a pump see how to set up you know traffic see how see what they do to set up the slabs if you have a few 30 minutes 30 minutes on a bridge deck before pour will tell you a lot or you, but you choose your level of involvement if you want to go home at six o'clock every day you're gonna have a hard time gaining that those x factors that little extra little extra knowledge so it's a like i said first five seven years ask all the questions in the world and, and do your best. That's, that's dead on there, Jess. And for anybody listening, I mean, it's kind of a theme we've been playing here on a few episodes now is kind of put yourself out there, not being afraid to do things. But I like the way you said it even better, which is about, uh, you know, choosing your involvement, because I mean, that's really what it is. You're, if you're, if you're motivated and if you're, uh, you know, if you're really aggressive about learning the next thing and, keep, and you keep learning and growing, that's going to create more opportunity too down the road. I mean, absolutely. Like I wanted, you know, luckily I started working uh, in Texas, which is a non-union state. And, and, uh, and you couldn't on a Saturday, you couldn't find me on, you couldn't find me at home. I'd be on a dozer or an excavator, just, just pushing dirt around, just learning how they work. Uh, you know, or I'm, I, I, I've spent Saturdays up there on the bridge decks, tearing apart overhang and handrails with my own hammer. I found a hammer and I, I said, I'm gonna go do this on a Saturday. It, it just, it, it takes a, it takes a level of, of, uh, motive self-motivation to do it but it pays off boy does it pay off well and I mean, you know you also get those opportunities too to probably see things that you wouldn't see i mean you know it could just it could even just be as simple as the different crews you're working with that are also there with you you, you can't you kind of get a feel for who else is really in it in it with you oh yeah no i mean really you know the really the big companies they want to they want to they want to promote their basics and 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 the basics are the basics and then we, we a lot of times we forget about the basics, you know, how to properly clean quantities and, you know, gauge productions and understanding costs, uh, understanding, understanding, uh, you know, man hours and, and man and manpower and equipment and equipment costs. I mean, that's all factor into things and they're all generated from an estimate somehow. And but understanding those items, uh, that's where you want to ask questions. You want to you want to you want to tie the physical to the to the paperwork. You know, it's a it's a big deal. And then. You know, we talked about 3D modeling. I was like, that's that no one no one said that that just this is what you need to do. You just do it. You just get it. Do it. I mean, no one taught me how to work through CAD Civil 3D and MicroStation and Tecla and, and, and all these other softwares. You just start watching YouTube, boy. <laughs> just watch you pay off. That's it's almost the same for me when I got out of out of college i mean that's, that's kind of been the theme of this conversations too is like right you get out of college and like you don't really know anything you think i mean i have a civil engineering degree but i, I had no intention of being a civil engineer so i got out of civil engineering and i went to like work in construction right and like, i didn't know shit. i didn't know rfis i didn't know submittals i didn't know anything and i'd be sitting in a meeting and and the first company i worked for was a lot of federal contracting stuff too so i'm sitting right. in a meeting and they're throwing out acronyms and this and that and different words and like I, like I, they're speaking French. I don't know what they're saying, but same thing. I would just like write down every word or acronym I heard that I didn't know, like on the margin of my paper in my notebook. And afterwards, I'd go back and just spend two hours on Google, just Googling stuff. <laughs> yeah. And like, I didn't want to speak up and be like, hey, I don't know what you are talking about. But like, I was just like, 
learning as I went on the fly, but kind of the same same idea, I guess. It is, and if you really want to, you really want to diversify your knowledge of acronyms. Work, go work in Los Angeles, Texas, and then Miami. And boy, oh boy, <laughs> it's a uh, it's it's fun. Go work for the city of Los Angeles, and then everywhere in Texas, and then and down down there in Miami. It's the industry gets pretty small. I, it's it's pretty funny. It does. And like, I mean, even just equipment, you know, like, what do you call, what do you call the big forklift with the tires that picks up like 10,000 pounds? What do you call that? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, <laughs> or lulls, sky tracks, extendable forklifts. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, you can do, yeah, you there's 30, there's 30,000 pound, uh, you know, sky tracks and there's just telehandlers. There's, telehandler, uh, yeah. uh, there's four. Yeah. It's good. That's a good point. Yeah. The nomenclature changes from, from, you know, we just had a conversation uh, yesterday about this, about what do you call, what do you call a, uh, a motor grader or a blade or a maintainer? Uh, you know, people grow up at different times, different, different, different generations. Yeah. I've heard, uh, you know, you probably don't have much in like the civil world, but like when you're building a vertical building, you'll have like a temporary elevator on the side. Mm-hmm. And I always heard everybody call it buck hoist. And I got I was a project now and they got one and I called it a buck hoist. Like, what the hell are you talking about? I was like, the the temporary elevator. It's like, what'd you say? I was like, a buck hoist? Like, I don't know what it means. That's what I always heard it called. And uh, they were like, oh, you mean the material hoist? And I was like, sure. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. We call it an elevated lift, elevated lift platform. <laughs> it's so funny, man. <laughs> so like, You could have a career's worth of experience. You go to a new ge- geography location and like, you're, you don't even know what you're doing anymore. It feels like sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's tough. Uh, you know, it was you know, it's real. It was a real an eye opener. Was uh, going from a non labor uh, non labor work environment to a uh, to a labor work environment to a union environment. Uh, that was a change of pace because I never got yelled at for getting on a sky track and, and unloading material. Boy, oh boy, you pick up a hammer, you're going to get yelled at, and it's a, it's a it's a strict yelling. Yeah, you're affecting somebody's somebody's labor union there. Yeah, you just took food out of some kid's mouth is what you did. Exactly right. (laughs) So, but what other uh, what are the tips you got for the next generation? You got anything else? Um, you know, in my industry, I mean, typically we don't. I mean, like right now, I'm I'm working more local because I'm I'm working for a smaller outfit, and and the company owners are really really excited about going up to you know building. The company to the next level but if anybody that chooses to go on the heavy civil transportation path and chase you know big mega project jobs it's tough i mean it, it can it can like i said if you if you want to commit yourself to really understanding a lot of different types of structures a lot of different working environment work environments a lot of different types of uh uh, uh types of builds the opportunities are there but it, it it can it can it can overload you but if you can manage it it's great there's there's no shortage of problems to solve and that's somebody like myself that's a that's give me the biggest and baddest and most complex problem i want to i want to solve it right um but at the same time it's very important that you keep a great at a good attitude a good attitude and 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 being respectful with, with your coworkers. that also plays a game because at the end of the day being respectful to the your coworkers and your owners uh that's going to tell people what they need to know about you as an individual. And luckily I've had the opportunity. I've, I've worked with great superintendents, you know, great management and some of the smartest people in the world when it comes to engineering. And, and I've been to so many different jobs because I was requested. I was the company wanted me to go or the, or the owner wanted me to be there. Or so that's why I spent two years on a job, a year on a job, you know, or pushing a job, whatever the case may be. So keeping a good reputation, is a big deal because like i said when you work in just a state the industry gets smaller and smaller you know you, you, you tend to be working with the same people and sometimes they're your they're your inspectors sometimes they're your ceis sometimes sometimes you're your designer you know sometimes they're representing the owner so it's um it's a very small industry so always be respectful and always be mindful of that you might be working this guy on the next job and or the next subcontractor and keeping a Keeping a good rapport, a good good reputation is a uh, is uh, it goes a long way because you want to be requested, you want to be, you know, 
That's a good Friends feeling when it happens. Huh? That sounds like a really great feeling when it happens too. Oh, it is. It is. It's, it is a good feeling. It's uh, it's, it's funny. Cause like, I mean, I found it here in the commercial world. I mean, in the heavy civil world too, it's like, it's such a small industry. Like you may be working coast to coast, but you see the same people over and over. You do, you do. And you end up making the same phone calls. Say, Hey, remember me from this project? Yeah. You don't I'm want to be back. the asshole I'm, from the last I'm, project. I'm, I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, me again. Hi. And that's what I was going to say, Matt, was just that you, you never know who you're going to run into again. And more than likely, you probably will in, in the industries that we work in, because there's a, there's very few people that are actual experts in what they do. And, and if they're not, they don't stick around very long. Yeah. So the ones that stick around are usually the ones you keep seeing over and over again. And it just keeps happening. You know, you know another thing was we see a lot of generate like we'll see a lot of generation, a lot of the, you know, the, the older generation. There's 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 been a succession coming on, um, you know, about the younger generation taking over some, you know, some of the senior management positions. And mm-hmm. and uh, there's a lot of there's always a lot of opportunity because the industry isn't as. I guess it isn't as staffed as it used to be or, or it's not as staffed as it needs to be. Uh, so there's, yeah, I tell you what, if you chose a civil engineering career these days, you, you can do whatever you want. You can live wherever you want. You can build the opportunities are there. I mean, there's no, it's the, to me, that's one of the safest, safest uh, career paths you can choose. Um, you know, when I graduated, it was 2008 or 2009. And luckily I jumped on a big mega project here outside of Austin. Um, and then haven't haven't had any concern about having opportunities ever. So it's safe. It's as safe as you can get. Especially right now, you know, I mean, they're pumping a lot of money. All the government's pumping a lot of money into infrastructure. And the infrastructure's falling apart because it was all built what 60, 70 years ago. And so it's yeah. all it's all in need of repair. So you're talking about safe uh, place to be. It is. I mean, Texas, Texas is a great place to be too, because I mean these cities are never stopped growing. Uh, the infrastructure, you know, mainly the you know the interstate infrastructure that's been developed back in was it Eisenhower in the fifties. Yeah, it's it's hitting its lifespan. Um, there's always a need. There's always a need for expansion and growth. I mean, actually, we're talking about some of the work coming on uh, between Austin and San Antonio on I-35, and I-35 is going to be under construction for 20 straight years. Uh, we sat in the, the Texas the Texas Transportation meeting at, at the Capitol building and. They were promoting a $650 million project. And, and then when the uh, the chairman said, oh, how long is this this new new build supposed to la- last for? And they go, 15 years? We're like, these structures are good for 75 years lifespan, but you're only building it to be managed the next 15 years? You know, c- come on, let's put some lanes in there and let's, let's, that's like continuous construction. Let's do this, guys. Come on. The budgets are there. The budgets are there. Federal funding's there. The state funding's there. That's like I used to live off I-35 in Austin, and now I'm off I-45 in Houston. And I, it's a joke I had because I think this thing's been under construction forever. And I think it runs from the stretch I'm on. It runs from Houston down to Galveston Island. And I think what they do is they expand the lanes. They start from the north, head down to the island. By the time they get there, mm-hmm. it's overgrown again. They got to start back up the north and expand the lanes. And it's just never ending. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. To, it's tough to see too. And and property acquisitions isn't getting any easier. And no, yeah. no, you're fourth loop, fourth loop around Houston. Yeah, it's coming. It's actually coming right by my house. And I, I don't really understand that either because they've been announced. They don't own the property yet, but they've been announcing that this is coming through here. I'm like, are you going to buy the property? Or are you just going to like let what what's happening? <laughs> yeah, that's one. So, no, well, that's. We're eager for the next generation. You know, uh, the next generation does have, they have good ideas. Um, and that's, we live in a very, we work in a very literal type of uh, work environment where, you know, it's go, go, you know, get the work done. But, you know, one thing I really do encourage uh, the next generation too is that they have talents. And I'll tell you what, I've been surprised with some of the spreadsheets these guys make and data analysis, data collecting and, and like analytics and, and creating different ways of seeing things and knowing things. Um, they have they have some tools and some understanding that you know now I can I guess I start referring to myself as a, an older generation if you like but uh you know using these guys for their talents is, is another thing that we need to focus on too you know it's 
it's teaching the guys in the field, you know, how to handle iPads and managing costs on, you know, technology is just as good as, it's only good if you use it. Mm -hmm. um, but some of these guys, some of these younger engineers have really surprised me on how they can manage uh, manage data. It's funny. And efficiently and easy too. It's funny you're talking about feeling like an older guy now, because like there was a point of time when I would always have to help our superintendents with their computers and their iPads and show them how they work and all that sort of stuff. And then I hit like 35 years old and I, now I can't get my printer to sync up to the, I can't get my computer to sync up to the printer anymore. And like, I have no patience. I just go poke at it. And like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so. Well, hey, well, well, Jess, before you kind of leave the topic about the, the you know, next generations, um, you talked a little bit earlier about systems and specifically about how one of your systems is using SketchUp. It helps you visualize, it helps you go through the sequence um, as you learn the documentation, learn the project. I mean, I have my own systems too. You know, I, 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 look, I look through the drawings. I, I generally like to start with the equipment in my projects and then kind of work out the piping, work through the architecture, the structure from there. That's just my approach. Are there any other systems that you think are would be useful or helpful for other others to know about and make, you know, they can consider for themselves? You know, what, what other kind of stuff do you like to do? Um, as far as systems, you mean softwares and, and supporting? No, just your general process for how you, you know, get, in, get involved with a project, get familiar with the new project, um, get familiar with, you know, the work that has to take place or, you know, any, anything like that, that might be helpful. Yeah. For... Um, well, you know, going back to basics too, is that, you know, when you, when you walk into a job, it's, you know, when you walk into a job, it's important to understand two, two of the biggest things. Where's the money at and where's it coming from and, and schedule. And so understanding schedule and, you know, most of our heavy civil transportation projects, they all dwell in P6, Primavera P6, uh, which that is that is a career path in itself these days, you know, because some of our, our schedules are pretty, pretty massive. And so there's somebody generating somebody's working through the schedules uh, at all times. Um, but, you know, when you come into a job, understand, understand your milestones, understand, understand your production rates um, and understand where the money's coming from, because. The last thing you would be, you would be doing is spending money you don't have, and uh, those are those are big deals. But I mean, that's that's pretty standard for construction in general, right? And cost management. Um, I guess what other systems would you think about using? Well, yeah, I mean, you're basically hitting it on the head here because I'm just thinking about you know um, a new new generation getting onto a job site. Maybe it's for the first time, or maybe it's just a a new new experience for them. Maybe it's maybe it's the biggest project they've ever been on, and it can be really overwhelming. I mean, there's so many things to consider, especially you got the schedule, you got the budget, you got safety, you got to think about. You've got just even you know the design scope and the bid packages that you know who knows where those are at. But but regardless, there's just so much that can be taken in, and you can almost get like the the paralysis where it's just there's just so much I don't even know where to begin. So, you know, it, it's nice to have some some thoughts or some processes about maybe breaking that down bite-sized chunks, you know, step-by-step step at a time. So, well, you know, just kind of wonder if you had any other tips or tricks like that that work well for you or that you're seeing that work really well for newer people. Yeah, so, I mean, I've got a, I got a bit of a, of a very, I'm not the best multitasker and, and like and some people are, some people aren't. Um, and so I have a general rule of thumb. If, if everything's critical, then nothing's critical. Start over. And so um, that's, I tell you what, one of my favorite practices is, and, I, and when I exactly what you said, when, when my young engineers or myself would get overwhelmed, I take my list of to-do items and I say, pick three. If you get those done today, you're in good shape. If you, if you get more done, do more, but pick three, get those done. Pick three the next day, get those done. Just always try to hit a target. Uh, whether it's you know getting submittals in, uh, you know, tracking or, or you know upload or uploading invoices to a log, you know, you gotta think little tasks here and there because let's say invoices. I'm sure you all have approved some invoices in your time. If you let to the, wait till the end of the month, well, you have 300 invoices and that's gonna take you a while, and then you have no time to, to fix them. Uh, if you if you don't claim quantities correctly and then all of a sudden you get sick a day, well. You, you've affected the cost report. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, but no, you know, pick little, you know, create little battles, create little milestones and, and, and try to check these things off the list because yeah, it is, it is very easy to get distracted. It's very easy to, you know, get, you know, demoralized or something. Something's going to bring you down that day. Um, 
try to get little things done. Little things add to big things. Um, rather than trying to prioritize a whole list because then the list keeps growing as you're trying to prioritize. So um, it's, there's a lot of learning, there's a lot of, there's a lot of life learning practices, you know, in, in construction too. Like you said, the bigger the project, the more issues, the more fires, the more, the more emotions, the more attitudes, sky's the limit. You just got to learn to roll the punches a little bit. Well said, great advice there. Yeah. So. Yeah, going back to the original topic of, you know, in, innovating to improve constructability. Um, you got any like good examples of a time when you really had a real innovative idea that really helped maybe even just get the building or get the roadway and bridge constructed? You know, maybe you had a ma major issue or something like a think outside the box type of example. Um, you know, I was trying to think about this this afternoon. I was like, a lot of little examples too and and um let's say for instance particularly there was uh, on, on one of my last projects and and uh we're doing a big cable state bridge or tight arch bridge six big arches and soon it's going to re it's going to be it's going to redefine the, the skyline of a major city aka miami um this was probably the most complicated concrete structure that well, i mean many people have seen uh, a lot of people in our industry seen um it's just riddled with custom geometries. It's it's hollow precast arch segments that's 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 erected up to there's six arches that tie into a big center center pier in the middle. And uh, you talk about a, pro a project with opportunities to be innovative. That's that was the that was the, the big one. And I spent two years on. And uh, so like we actually had to develop a form casting or form system to manage number one 10,000 psi concrete. Number two, 40 foot of uh, 40 foot of head pressure, and uh, for concrete that was uh, SCC, self consolidating concrete. So you're talking about a lot of liquid head, so it had to be really stout, and it had to be it had to be cast on an angle, 30 to 45 degree angle. So basically, you're building an elevator shaft at 30 to 45 degrees. Well, an elevator shaft formwork, self traveling, just goes up, right? Pretty simple. I don't know how I don't know what size lifts it is, but so we had to work with our formwork supplier to invent a handset form system that guys could manage from the inside of the core and it could handle that extreme pressure. Well, we had to go to a different material. Steel's too heavy, too big. Uh, you know, wood's not, wood's not good enough. So we went to one inch thick, you know, FPR uh, or fiberboard. So it's like a fiberglass board. So we helped, we were part of the, the, the development of, of getting that first step, that first form type rushed through R and D and put into the market um that was a little example i mean that was a good one but a lot of times it comes into okay we have shoring towers that are 150 to 300 feet in the air how do we want them assembled how do we want to how can we reuse them how can we you know be into, be, be be better with our resources here well, let's let's add some extra holes and let's make it universal rather than just all custom um that was a big that was a big step how do we use our form, form resources better by sharing or a lot of times it comes down to sharing, I mean, you know, how many more resources do we need to being innovative like that? So for a big project that's 45 or 40 miles across with six major interchanges, four major interchanges, when you're working in three different segments of the project, just communication, coming up with a plan uh, of how we can share resources rather than spending two extra million dollars on forms that you use three times and I use three times and he uses one time. That's a plan. That's cost savings. That's innovation. Um, you know, we've, uh, you know, innovation, you know, being innovative doesn't just mean what cool LIDAR system comes out now and what new software are we using to do this? That's not always innovation. Just thinking around the problem, you know, solving a bigger problem, thinking around the problem. Is there a better way to look at this? Is there a better way to manage this? Um, it's innovation is a bit of an open, open topic. One of my favorite ones was um, I took some FCO, some FCO, um, steel plate systems. And I was talking about the farm equipment topic earlier. We wanted to do some precast caps just for some simple floodplain bridges. Well, so I went and got some hydraulic lift wheels for farm equipment that I used back in my past when I was 18, slapped them on the sides of the, this form system, put a hitch on the front of it with, with open, you know, for, with hydraulics hooked up to a tractor to lug around and pull down a line and just created my own precasting bed. But 
no one told me to do it, but I knew I, I knew I could do I knew I could make precast caps a lot better. So I did that. I literally bought a secondhand set of lift assist wheels from farm supply store. <laughs> so it's funny though, because I mean you're right. A lot of times innovation, it's not gonna be something you put in your resume. It's not gonna be inventing a new form system and a new a new fiber board, one inch thick fiber board that you can like bring to market and all that stuff. A lot of times it's just the day in, day out things of like just make this thing a little bit better and tweak it yeah, and that's it. it more. That's it. That's it. And it takes a it takes a certain person. Uh, and I've met I've met some 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 pros at it too. That it just they go out there. They let's do it this way, and then it works. And you're like, wow, this is yeah. This is this was not this was not a course in college. This was not a this was not a basic skill that the company wants us to learn. No. Um, that, and that's what that just drives me. That's what, I, that's why I can't get enough of the industry because the opportunities are out there. And now we're now I'm moving personally into, into taking a lot of these ideas and creating patents. And then maybe maybe it'll maybe it'll hit. Maybe it won't. But that's my exciting, God. man. My God, that's gonna be the that's gonna be the, the trial. <laughs> so, are you you guys on the in the? Heavy civil world. Have y'all been hit as hard as kind of maybe the building construction world is when it comes to like long lead time items and you know unavailability of materials? Yeah. Oh yeah. Electricians. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a lot of market there's a lot of or industry uh, inconsistencies right now and and um, across the country. I mean, the biggest one is skilled labor force too. Um, yeah. A lot of your a lot of your electronic electric electronics equipment. Um, have a lot of lead time, you know, luckily we're kind of out of the steel, uh, the inconsistencies with the steel market. We, we, I lived through those pretty hard, hard with the, when you call the mill and you want to get, you know, steel beams and, and all of a sudden there's, they can't, they can't lock down pricing and you're trying to create train. No, I mean, they can't get, they can't, they can't guarantee pricing for more than a day. Like, well, and then having to go to owners explain situations i tell you what that's part of the job that you never you never thought you'd have to spend 30 40 percent of your time just explaining that the market is inconsistent and pricing is going up and boy oh boy but it's, i mean like you said the biggest the biggest players for ours isn't so much material right now but it's labor labor and uh, uh skilled labor force Y'all see the same thing too? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's things like generators. Like, if you order a generator today, maybe you'll get it by 2025. You know, hold your breath. You know, those things are taking 72 weeks at the high end. Um, anything electrical, because the damn electricians are causing yeah. problems everywhere. But like, you know, switch gears and everything else. Uh, you know, but even getting like air handlers. Like the project one right now. You know, air handlers supposed to ship, and then all of a sudden they didn't ship. We said, what's going on? Like. Yeah, they didn't ship. When are they going to ship? Yeah, don't worry about it. We'll, you'll get them when you get them type thing. And then we were told, like, because they were coming, uh, I guess, from Mexico. And they're like, all right, they're in customs. I'm like, okay, cool. And then we next week we found out, like, they haven't even shipped yet. You're like, it's just stuff like that. You're like, what is going on? You can't get a straight answer from anybody. and it's a, That's it's a tough. Mess. A lot of times, I mean, previous projects I've had to deal with, uh, with overseas materials, uh, you know, stay ducts. Um, different types of precast yard form systems being built overseas and maybe in China. Um, some equipment has been modified from China. Now, I'm, I haven't had to deal with that through much of the COVID period or anything like that, but um, the, you know, what we do see a lot of issues in our industry too is because we'll use outside rent cranes or even our own cranes and our own equipment uh, if it's built from overseas or if it's a foreign made crane. Man, it's hard to get parts for these some of this equipment right now. I mean, even tires for a truck crane, or you know, it's you don't you don't you can't even speak intelligent on it because you don't know what's going on in that country. So, boy, oh boy, I love explaining that one. <laughs> yeah, our crane's broken down, and I don't know when I'm going to get a tire for it. Like what? <laughs> yeah. So, I, in my opinion, I think I'm hoping that we're on the tail end of you know. A lot of these, a lot of these different economies going through struggles, um, including our own, and and coming out of, coming out of this, you know, decline or or this issue period, uh, hopefully. But I tell you what, things are changing. 
and we got to figure out ways to, to solve the problems that we yeah. didn't have 10 years ago. At least it seems like all the pricing starting to settle out anyway, where it's not increasing every month. You're getting a letter that X is, X product is increased another 15, 20%. You know, I tell you what, yeah. 10 years ago, concrete was, was pretty, it was cheap compared to now. I mean, now it's like you're paying what for, for three thirty two hundred PSI concrete. Wild man. I'm pretty sure I heard that. Um, was it actually today that the uh, World Health Organization announced that end of the pandemic? That's right. Yeah. So I mean, to me, what that means is, come Monday, all the problems will be fixed, guys. I mean, we'll be, in, we'll be in good shape. It's gonna take maybe two days to work it out, but yeah, we'll be good. Yeah. 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 We'll hold on to that. Okay. <laughs> Don't hold Matt, that. <laughs> Matt, you're, Matt, your uh, your your rooftop units will be there probably on Monday, on Tuesday morning then. I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> so, no, but new problem, new problems that haven't, that weren't existent 10 years ago. And now they're, now they're main, major distractions and major problems. You can either let it define you or you can work to define it. That's a good way to look at it, man. It's, uh, I just speaking of being innovative, like, you know, we've had to do things like order the switch gear for a building while we're still in design, right? When a normal building yeah. make, and so we had to pull that out and then basically just design the building around it. Be like, this is, this is what's coming. So finish your design. Cause you're getting this thing, you know, cause we had it ordered yeah. three months ago just to get it on time, you know, just Man exactly right. Managing resources differently rather, rather than waiting, rather than waiting for the, when the project starts, well, if you need say precast box culverts and there's a, you know, no one's cranking them out fast enough and, or you're going to pay 200% over you know, market price. Why don't we start buying them now? Because we know they're going to be on the next job somewhere, holding on to the documentation. And here, Bazinga, now you got box covers on time. Same concept. I mean, uh, there was it's a managing, yeah, managing resources and forecasting. I mean, buying futures in steel. I know some suppliers, they'll buy futures in steel. That way they can actually, you know, track costs rather than having to go through the inflation, the market, market inflations. That's pretty smart, too. Yeah, people do that with fuel. People do that with. You have a big enough company that can buy features. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, well the, the material side is really interesting because in the last couple of years, there's been a big change that I've seen in, in our part of the industry where it used to be people were like the manufacturers, the owners. They they would even go buy their own materials and save some costs. But nowadays, you might you might you might buy them ahead of time just because of lead time, just because you need to get them on time, like you're saying that. So it used to be cost driven. Now it's just all schedule and unpredictability driven really right yeah and there's it's tough when you have a big a big complex schedule especially with phase work and, and heavy civil, or like you know highway interpretation you know not getting street lights in is a big deal that's that's a pretty significant stage or milestone that needs to happen to allow other avenues of work to open up can't have it can't do that and then you're then you're panicking trying to call around and have people do favors for you and it's it's a it's part of the job you didn't think you'd have to be doing but now it's pretty pretty normal now yeah. so well, hopefully that shakes out and we get back to a little bit more normal normality soon yeah definitely so. there by monday like kyle said yeah by monday yeah all right give them till tuesday guys come on <laughs> So we're wrenching up on an hour, Jess. Uh, yeah. You know, is there anything else you, you kind of want to put out there, kind of for the next generation to to know or do or think about? You hit on no. all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's an evolving market uh, and an evolving career uh, and job. It's and there's no sh there's no shortage of of problems to solve, man. That's, that's the driver. So I worked with the guy for a while and he would always, his catchphrase was like, he's like, these are good problems because they're solvable problems. Yeah. So that's stuck with me. So. Uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes that I like to leave my guys with is uh, uh, a Henry Ford quote. And he like, he says, uh, it's actually posted on my office wall. It says, uh, you know, if I had to, if, if, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. That's, that's a good one. I love that one too. That's one of my favorites. But I, I look at it every day. I'm like, okay. 
I gotta be outside the box and not be crazy. All right. <laughs> That's good. You gotta be a little crazy sometimes. Right. Like, yeah. Well, you gotta be crazy to do what you love. I tell you what. So, so Jess, if anybody wants to get in touch with you or anything, do you got a way for do you just not want to be contacted? No, I mean I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can hit me on LinkedIn. Um, and then also my you know email address, uh, jess.rosen13 at gmail.com, and that's on LinkedIn as well. So uh, that's a, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me for questions and and tell me I'm crazy or join my crazy train or whatever you want. <laughs> right on, man. You got anything else, Kyle? No, I just want to put a word out there. Be nice to your, to your local Sparkies, everybody. I mean, you know, don't listen to these guys hating on us all the time. We aren't that bad. Go cry in your go cry in your go cry in your goose down pillow that costs you know four hundred dollars at Bed Bath Beyond. You, you, you money counting fools. <laughs> There's a change order coming your way, Jess. <laughs> Don't be for calling the, them for light poles. We'll put that in the round the round filing bin over here. Ooh, I think the lead time for copper just went up. <laughs> oh, no, guys, really appreciate the opportunity, and, and uh, like I said, I'm been listening to the Fury podcast and this is really interesting and, and really really enjoy uh some of the some of the guests y'all have on there and, and appreciate the time y'all gave me and uh and uh really hope this podcast really starts catching wind and really does start supporting next generations um because the information's there let's just be communicative and, and and support each other i appreciate that man and thanks again for taking some time and uh joining us today heck yeah jess thanks man it was great huh. cool Till next time guys see you later right. adios